invite you to take that connections card that you inside the bulletin and tear that off. And listen to any prayer requests you have at the bottom. And if, if you're visiting with us, please give us your name and email address or some way we can contact your phone number to thank you for worshiping with us. We'd like to invite you back week after week. And at the end of the service, um, when the basket goes around, just drop those cards in there. All those prayer requests will be prayed for. Um, and any kind of boxes you've checked, anything like that, we'll contact you with that information. And a few announcements I want to take you through. First of all, you may have noticed we have a new sound system. I don't know, you may or may not have noticed. There's a new soundboard up there. There's a whole new sound system put in. So hopefully the sound is better. And um, as someone said, loud but clear, I think Mark said. So anyway, thank you so much for all the volunteers that put, that put in so much time to put that in and all these other projects going on around here. We really appreciate that. Another thing to be mindful of for the men, there's a men's retreat coming up in June from the 7th through the 9th. So guys, put that on your calendar. We're going to get together with the influencers again this year. And so that'll be coming up in June, and there'll be more details to come with about that. There's a Royal Family Kids Camp that's happening the 24th to the 28th of June. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's approximately 2,500 kids in the foster care system here in Orange County. And what the Royal Family, the Royal Family Kids Camp does is they put together a week-long um, retreat for these kids to go and be loved on and be um, blessed by um, people in the ministry. And so what Lighthouse is doing this year is partnering with the um, Newport Mesa Church to get together and put together a, a week-long retreat for about 100 of these kids. If you're interested in being a counselor or part of the support staff, mark that on your Connections card, and Eric will contact you with some more information about that. So, um, good news. Lee and Mary made it back from their trip, and they're back. And I just want to say in all seriousness, you know, I've, I've had some, a few tough days the past couple of months, and I'm being serious about that, and Pastor Lee has... has proven, as always, to be a great friend and an encouragement. And I told him before he left, I said, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm going to actually miss you. And I kind of got all mushy. And before I get mushy again, we're just glad you're back. Who wants to see some photographs from their trip? <laughs> Perfect, because we've got some. If you remember, I told you that Mary said she thought Lee was feeling old and we were going to try to help remedy that. And I upgraded him from that Focus to that fancy Buick convertible I told you about. Anyway, she took a picture of him as he picked it up from the rent-a-car agency, and I think he's starting to look younger already. So, um, so the, it's not, it's, the vacation's underway. So, unfortunately, this is true. By the time they got to the hotel, Mary was feeling under the weather. She ended up being sick, so she ended up in her sick bed. There's a photograph of her. And sadly, Lee was forced to go out and explore the hotel by himself. And as he went wandering around, he suddenly discovered that there was temptation lurking at every turn, especially by the pool. So he realized he had to get out of the hotel, so he headed off to play golf. True story. While he was there, he found some women that posed no temptation at all. And these women offered to let him play around a golf with him. So they went out and played golf. After he wiped the floor with the gals from Our Lady of the Perpetual Five Putt, he celebrated his victory in all humility and, and whatever. That's it, yeah. So anyway, he's not very humble about that. So he beat the girls. Then he headed off to surf. He went off to do a little surfing, and he was looking pretty good for a while, but he ended up in trouble at the end. But luckily, he was able to get a lift back to the hotel. And um, Anyway, that's as good as it gets, so uh, it's all downhill from here. Finally, after a few days, Mary was feeling better, and she was able to get up and around. And here's a great photograph of them touring the grounds of the hotel. And um, anyway, all in all, they had a wonderful trip, and we're so glad to have you back. So... So, on that note, 
We're going to stand and greet each other with this question, and the question today is, who or what do you like to listen to? Let's stand and greet each other with that question. In the midst of a series that's focused on the spiritual disciplines, and as we've been talking about week after week, these disciplines are not rungs on a ladder towards righteousness that we need to somehow climb to in, in order to make ourselves righteous. The point of the spiritual disciplines is that we cannot make ourselves righteous, and only God can do that. Only God can make us holy and set apart. And so the point of the spiritual disciplines is to strip away a lot of the clutter, a lot of the distractions, a lot of the things that can hinder us from entering into that intimate relationship with God so that He can make us holy, so that He can transform us into the image of His Son, so that He can use us to be ambassadors of hope and reconciliation in our community. That's the goal. Ultimately, the goal is relationship. That's the whole point of these spiritual disciplines. And last week we talked about prayer. And we talked about the fact that prayer is not just something that we do before meals or something that we do when we've kind of reached the end of our own abilities and then at that point we throw up, you know, the, it's time to pull out the spiritual AAA card and make that phone call because we need help. Although God invites us to bring our needs before Him, the point of prayer is relationship. It's an opportunity for ongoing communion with God. We looked at that proverb that says, you know, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Recognize that God wants to be part of every aspect of our lives, from the holy to the mundane and the common. In everything, from the way that, we, from, from what we do our, for our quiet time to what we have for breakfast, how we interact with our family what we do at work, how we drive to work, in everything. Acknowledge that God is there with us. It's an ongoing relationship. That's the point. Prayer is simply the medium through which, or the, the, the means through which we have ongoing communion with God. Sometimes we're going to be a little bit more intentional about having a conversation with Him, but in everything, recognize that God is there with us and wanting to be a part of, wanting to speak into it. And if we are willing to do so, He will make our path straight. He will guide our steps, even though we may, even though we may plan our path. Does that make sense? The, the whole point of this is, is, I hope it reveals to you what an unbelievably um, close God we have. We don't have a God who is like some divine watchmaker, who wound up the world and now stands back with his arms crossed and watches it spin hopelessly out of control. Nor do we have a divine traffic cop who sits in heaven again with his arms crossed and his aviator glasses on waiting for us to screw up so he can punish us with lightning bolts. That's not the picture of God that we get. We have a God in heaven who desires relationship with us desires to be part of our lives, knows us so intimately that, as Jesus mentioned, he knows the very number of hairs on our head, which in some of your cases isn't that big a deal. <laughs> but the point is the same. He knows us. He's not distant. He's not disengaged from his world. He is imminently involved in our lives. What I want to do this morning is I want to talk about a part, of the, Holy, uh, a part of, of the Godhead that we oftentimes kind of skim over. We talk about the Holy Spirit, but we don't necessarily spend much time talking about who the Holy Spirit is or what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. 
Because the reality is, God has chosen to commune with us. In the same way that He chose to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then later on, He chose to tabernacle with the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. And He chose to guide them. Pillar of cloud in the day and fire by night. And then later, He chose to, again, tabernacle with mankind in the flesh when He came down and took on humanity. It says in the beginning, you know, that there was God. Or in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled with the people. Resided with us. There's this concept, this idea, that God literally chose to be in our midst and walk with us. But you take it one step further. And now God chooses to tabernacle in our hearts. God with us. And so what this morning we want to do is simply talk about who is the Holy Spirit and what role does He play in our ongoing, intimate relationship with God. We're going to look at quite a few passages and we're going to begin at Hebrews chapter 4. Over the next couple of minutes, I just want to paint a picture of a few of the qualities or the, a few of the characteristics that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. So Hebrews, right towards the end of the Bible, If you hit James, you've gone too far. If you're in the Peters, well, actually, if you, if you Titus and, and all of those, you need a little bit further to go. But Hebrews chapter 4, you might want to keep your finger here because we're going to come back to this section in just a little while. But in Hebrews chapter 4, <laughs> that's not where we're going. Sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, that's the point I was trying to make. I, 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 okay. <laughs> Thanks for your grace. I appreciate it. Here's the thing. We have a God who is so unbelievably willing to enter into our lives. Think about Jesus for a moment. When he took on human flesh, he experienced the full gamut of what we experience. Hope and heartbreak. Joy and sorrow. Pleasure and pain. Jesus entered into all of it. And it's so much so that the writer of Hebrews here, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest. And he's talking here about Jesus. We don't have a high priest or a mediator between ourselves and God who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Rather, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he was without sin. And here's how the, the writer of Hebrews concludes that. Therefore, because we have a high priest who has experienced the full gamut of human emotions because he entered into our world, and then was willing to go to the cross and take our sins upon him, upon himself, therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We don't have to be... Like a dog, I, my dog used to get into the trash and you could tell when the dog got in the trash because it was like cowering in the corner like, I know I'm going to get in trouble and that's not how we need to approach our Father in Heaven. We can be like my son Ethan who even though he like just blatantly disobeyed me knows he can run into my arms and throw his arms around me and I'm going to accept that hug because darn it, I don't get very many of them. And I love it when he comes towards me because it doesn't matter how much he disobeys he is my son. 
And that never changes. And I love him more than he could ever possibly fathom. He didn't earn the right to be my son. He is my son. And my love is not contingent upon his actions. So therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, not cowering, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a God who is intimately involved in our lives. And he chooses to reside in our hearts in the form of the Holy Spirit, God in us. And so now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1, which is actually where we're going to start looking at where the Holy Spirit plays a role in our lives. And we're going to look at three different things. And I know I'm going to be missing some of the qualities and some of the purposes of the Holy Spirit. In no way do we have the margin this morning to do an across-the-board study of the Holy Spirit. That'll have to wait. But I want to look at three different characteristics of who the Holy Spirit is, and then we're going to move on to what does that mean for our ongoing relationship with God. So in 2 Corinthians, which is right after 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. Yeah, it's amazing how it goes like that. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. We've already made that point. Jesus, it is by Jesus alone that we are made righteous and that we can stand in God's presence, not because of anything that we've done. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit is, is a deposit. Let me explain what that means. What is it that we look forward to? Once we have shuffled off this mortal coil, as Shakespeare likes to say, what is it we look forward to? I got... Huh? Being with God. Right? An eternity of intimate relationship with our, our, our Creator, with our Father. That's what we look forward to. That's when in Revelation 21, when we get to enter into the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem comes down and God and Jesus are there. We get to spend eternity in relationship with Him. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is a deposit of that because even though we live in a world that is still plagued by brokenness and pain and sorrow, we get to have God with us now. Even though we still have broken lives and, and at some point we'll probably taste death, God resides with us and is with us in the midst of our brokenness. So it is a deposit, the first taste of eternity. We have eternity now. But the Holy Spirit is more than just God's stamp of ownership. This one's mine. He's so much more than that. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Go a couple of books left. Right in the middle of the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit is more than simply a deposit, God with us in the midst of a broken world, kind of the first fruits of our relationship with Him, because He helps us even in the midst of our weakness, even in the midst of this broken world. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul writes this, in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the second characteristic of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is He is our intercessor. Merv was back there before the beginning of the service trying to see if he could figure out what the fill-ins were, and you were right on this one. Good job. Gold star. He is our intercessor. What does that mean? Have you ever had a moment in your... where you just don't even know what to pray for? You're just kind of overwhelmed. Life has just gotten to the point where you're just like, God, I need you, but I don't even know what to ask for. I... Maybe it's because you're overwhelmed. Maybe it's because we're hurting. Maybe it's just simply because the brokenness seems to be too great and we don't know which way to begin, which way to turn. And there are moments when the Holy Spirit can take the burdens of our heart even if we don't know how to get words to them. And He brings those before our God in heaven. And He is our intercessor. He aids us in the process of our prayers. He carries our prayers into the throne room of heaven and interprets them for us. So even if we don't know how to pray, even if we don't know what to say, He knows how to articulate that in a way that makes sense to God because He is God. So He is our intercessor. But He's also God, which means it's not a unilateral thing. It's not just us speaking to God. Remember, prayer is communion. It's conversation. It's two ways. From us to Him, but Him to us as well. So, the last place we're going to go as we explore the personality of the Holy Spirit is John chapter 14. Sword drill today, right? All over the place. John chapter 14. This is perhaps the most famous of the places where the Holy Spirit is talked about in Scripture. Because this is where Jesus, on the night before he is arrested and ultimately crucified, recognizing that he spent three years molding and and mentoring up his disciples, pouring into them, daily walking with them. And he recognizes, tonight's my last night. Because at the end of tonight, I'm going to be arrested. Ultimately, I'm going to be crucified. Yes, I will come back and spend some time with them, but they are going to feel like they're being abandoned. And I want to encourage them to remind them they're not going to be left alone. And so in John chapter 14, verse 15, as he's kind of giving his farewell encouragement to them, he says this, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father And he will give you another advocate. Now, some of your translations might have counselor or comforter. We'll come back to this word advocate in just a moment. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you with and be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. And notice when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about it as if it's just some force. He's talking about it as a personal thing, a he The world cannot accept him, the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. Just a couple more verses I want to read. Jump down to verse 25. Same chapter. All this I've spoken, because he goes on to kind of tell a little bit more, a little bit more teaching. And he goes, listen, all this 
I've told you while I was still with you. But this advocate that I'm talking about, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. This word advocate or counselor or comforter, the term in Greek is paraclete. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. And the reason I want to use that as the fill-in as opposed to any of the other ones is it carries so much. So let me define what paraclete means. Paraclete is a Greek term that it refers to somebody who comes alongside someone else, oftentimes in a court of law. You ever, you, we've all, we're all pretty familiar with courtroom dramas, right? You've got the prosecutor who is pointing a finger he did this, he did that, he deserves this. The paraclete, our advocate, is like the defense attorney who sits next to us and puts a hand on our arms and says, listen, don't answer that question. Listen, don't worry. You're not fighting by yourself. You're not in this by yourself. The paraclete is one who comes alongside to comfort, to encourage, and to advocate for us to remind us of the things that Jesus taught us. To bring to our mind things that we have read in Scripture at just the right moment. To speak truth against the lies that the enemy loves to sow in our hearts when he begins to whisper into our ears, you're a failure. You're disgusting. You're unloved. And all of the things that he loves to do to steal, kill, and destroy the joy that we have in us and the hope that we have. The Holy Spirit is the one in, uh, inside of us that says, listen, don't listen to that. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. So the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's God in us. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor bringing the, the cries of our hearts before God. And He is also God speaking to us. He's our advocate that comes alongside and speaks the Word of God to us. Now some of you might be going, <clears throat> okay, I get those things, and it's great that the Holy Spirit speaks to some people, but He certainly doesn't speak to me. You don't need to raise your hand, but I imagine some of you in here feel that way. It's like the Holy Spirit may speak to some, but not to me. Maybe you think that the Holy Spirit only speaks to the spiritually elite, Right? pastors, super Christians, that kind of a thing. And, and I'm here to simply suggest that the Holy Spirit speaks to far more than just the spiritually elite. I think He speaks to all of us. Some of us just may not be listening all that well. I mean, have you ever read a book? And as you're reading, you get to a point where you realize, I don't remember like the last ten pages I just read. I, I know I read them, but I don't remember what I read. The reality is, although the words were coming across our mind, we weren't paying attention to them. We were distracted. Or even more close to home, when I, I drive with my son, Ethan, in the back, and he loves to talk. And I'll, I'll be driving with the radio on, perhaps, and I'm, and I'm trying to focus on where I'm going, but I'm also thinking about all the different things going on and where I need to go and what we're doing and all that. And at some point, I'll, I'll kind of clue into the fact that Ethan's going, Daddy, excuse me! And, I, and as I kind of 
And everybody goes, oh, he's so, it's so nice. He says, excuse me, it is nice the first once or twice. But like the 20th time, not so nice, you know. And he's like yelling, daddy, excuse me. And, and I clue into that moment that he has, this is not the first time he said it. He's been trying to get my attention like for the last 10 minutes. And it's not like I was trying to ignore Ethan. I simply was tuning him out. I couldn't hear him because I was, I mean, he was competing with all of the noise in my world, both externally, the radio, the, the, the traffic around me, and internally. All my other thoughts going on in there. And I would simply suggest to us that the Holy Spirit speaks to us all the time. We simply don't listen because we have so much noise in our lives that clutter it up. We have so little space to actually stop and listen. And even if we were listening, we wouldn't necessarily know what to listen for. We'd probably chalk it up to simply our internal Jiminy Cricket kind of talking to us. Oh, that's my conscience. Now, that's the burrito I had for dinner. That's Dr. Phil. And so the, it just begs the question, how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? How does the Holy Spirit speak? And I want to take a couple of minutes and drill in there. For, and I'm not going to do an adequate job in any way. I'm going to be able to scratch the surface, but in no way is this going to be covering the whole thing. We're trying to do a lot, a lot in one morning. So let me just kind of dive in here. I'm going to talk about three ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. The first way is with words. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak audibly to people. I will be the first to say I have never heard the Holy Spirit or God speak audibly. But oftentimes, God can speak internally, almost impressing words on our heart. And I have personally experienced this. I'll just briefly tell you about one time that happened. After I had you know, felt God really impressing on my heart that I needed to jump out of um, the role that I was at at the last church that I was at, not because there was anything wrong with the church, but because honestly, there was a lot wrong with me. I had become spiritually dry and I was showing up to try to minister to other people and had not been cultivating my own relationship with God. And I really strongly felt like God saying, trust me, it's time to jump out of the nest. And that first month of being out of that church, I was thrashing because I'd said goodbye to the one paycheck that our family regularly brought in and I had a wife and a son to provide for. And so I tried to figure out how to solve this in a lot of different ways. I was going and interviewing everywhere. I was constantly online looking up jobs. And I was exhausted, just spent. And as I was praying one night, I had my journal open because sometimes I'll kind of pray journal, kind of write down my prayers and then wait for the Holy Spirit kind of impress something and I'll write that down and, and then it's really kind of fun because it's an interactive thing that I then can go back and read. And more powerfully than I feel like I've ever heard the Holy Spirit impress something on my heart, I heard two words. Be still. And I didn't even need explanation because in those two words were packed an entire conversation. I knew exactly what those words meant. Stop trying to fix this. Stop trying to find the way out and rest. And it, and it kind of harkened back to something that had been kind of coming at me for a couple of weeks, and that is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I won't have any wants. And I felt God saying, I am going to make you lie down in this green pasture. 
I'm going to lead you beside still waters because I'm in the process of restoring your soul. So be still. Two words carried all of that and more. So sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks with an inaudible impression in words or images for some people. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks. Another way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through illuminating or drawing our mind to what other people say or maybe circumstances. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're saying something? They may not necessarily even be saying it directly to you, but something that is said, whether it's, you know, it could be a, you know, a pastor speaking, it could be just a conversation you're having, it could be even watching Dr. Phil, not making a joke about that. Honestly, you could be watching that and all of a sudden it's like inside you go, pay attention. You need to hear this. This is for you. Or maybe there's some circumstances going on and all of a sudden it's like a wake-up call. Pay attention. This is for you. Oftentimes I've found when, when God tends to speak through those kind of things, he doesn't just say it once. He says it a couple of times from, from a couple of different sources, almost to kind of solidify that this is something you need to pay attention to. There have been times where I've had a word spoken over me. Actually, a year to about the week before I stepped out of my role at that church, somebody said, you will not be at this church in a year. And at the time, things were great. I was doing great. And I just kind of went, okay. And then about a month and a half later, somebody else said something almost the same kind of thing. Although this time it was a picture. And it was like, I need to pay attention to this. I'm not sure what it means. I'm not going to do anything about it. But this is interesting. And I forgot about it for about nine months. And it was only after I felt God saying it's time to jump out of the nest that I remembered these prophecies. I mean, that's really all I can think of that they were. Somebody speaking the words of God for me. Okay? So God can speak through other people. God can speak through circumstances. But the third way, and, and it's a huge one that I want to spend a little bit of time on, is the fact that God can speak through Scripture, through His Word. We read, and you don't need to turn there. Where am I going? I don't know. Where am I going? You want to throw it up there so you can remind me where I'm going? <laughs> there we go. I still don't know. Oh. That's because it's, it's Hebrews again, the one that I, yeah, okay. We read in Hebrews 4, the one that we said we were going to come back to. We read this, Hebrews 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. We read, and the writer of Hebrews basically says that this book, written by 44 authors over the, you know, in 66 different books, is alive and it's active. And it, even though it was written over 2,000 years ago in a completely different cultural context to the one that we find ourselves in, that this somehow speaks into our context, into our lives real time. And may I simply suggest that the reason that it is able to do that is because of the Holy Spirit in us. 
communicating to us through this. And so as we read a scripture, the Holy Spirit again will illuminate things and say, listen, pay attention to this. This is for you. And helping it to communicate directly to where we are at in our lives. But this brings up an issue. And that is oftentimes the way we read the Bible (laughs) is counterproductive to being able to hear the Holy Spirit. I remember a time when I decided I was going to read all of the the Psalms, all 150 of them over the course of a 30-day period. That means five Psalms a day. We're going to rock through it. And I was excited because I really felt like, you know, this, these are the cries of, of other believers' hearts, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let them kind of nourish my spirit and all that kind of stuff. And so as I start reading it, something funny happened. Day five, day six, it started becoming less about it nourishing me and more about something that I could check off. Okay, I did this for today. Move on. Here's the problem. I was, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit was trying to speak to me through many of those psalms that I read, but I couldn't hear it because I was so fixated on simply finishing it. So what I want to suggest today is even though there is a time to read through the Bible, even though there are times to study Scripture, at times we need to, instead of trying to study it or get through it, we need to meditate on Scripture. And I'm not talking about emptying our minds and just kind of guru kind of thing saying just just take a word and and let it mean anything you want it to mean i'm suggesting that we slow down and invite the holy spirit to guide us as we read and as we read being interruptible enough that when we come to a passage or even a section a couple of words that resonate with the spirit within us to be willing to stop and have a conversation with god what are you trying to say to me right now What is this speaking to me? I remember I was doing this a couple of weeks ago as I was reading through Philippians. And there's that part, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, offer your your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And as I was reading this, I just felt like the Holy Spirit say, slow down, don't rush through this. Just camp on that verse. So I read it several more times. Then I just allowed it to begin to percolate. And out of that time, two or three words kind of came forward. Don't be anxious. And I took those words and I allowed them to become almost like a centering prayer. Justin has talked about centering prayers, things that we kind of repeat throughout the day, almost as a way to kind of draw us back to a truth that we need to get. And so for me, my centering prayer that day was, don't be anxious. And I knew what it carried with it. When I start to feel anxiety, don't be anxious. And it drew me back into prayer. Whatever it was that I was feeling anxiety about, I brought that before God in that moment. So it recentered me refocused my mind on God. And in so doing, it was almost as if I was taking that seed of truth that I could so easily have skipped past because I was just trying to get through the book, just trying to read. I would have missed that seed, but instead I took that one seed and I allowed the Spirit to begin to work it into the soil of my heart where it could take root and begin to bear fruit. That's what we're talking about when we talk about meditating on Scripture. Not rushing through it, but being interruptible. 
That's what we're going to practice this week in your small groups, is meditating on Scripture. And for those of you who aren't in a small group, may I, may I challenge you to join one, even now. You've still got several weeks of this study that you have the opportunity to dive into. All you need to do is, is mark it on your connection card, and I'll make sure that you get into one. But the point of this is this. The Holy Spirit can speak to us through Scripture, but are we willing to slow down and listen? The Holy Spirit speaks to us in a lot of different ways, but are we willing to listen? And I need, I need to mention also that the Holy Spirit isn't the only spiritual being that we come into contact with in Scripture. We have an enemy who also likes to speak into our lives, who also likes to sow ideas or thoughts, which then begs the question, how can we discern the difference? And just a couple of passages I want us to look at. You don't have to turn here. These are in your notes, but I want to read them really quickly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says this. John is, is reminding his readers, the people that he's writing his letter to, who are, Christian, are Christ followers who have been scattered because of persecution. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit Everything that's spoken in the name of God, everything that you feel impressed on your heart, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. A prophet, by the way, is not somebody who, when we, think, when we hear prophecy, we think something that's told about the future, and sometimes that's the case. But prophecy, all it really means is words that purport themselves to be from God. And a prophet is somebody who suggests, God told me this to tell to you. So, don't simply take everybody's word for it that they are speaking for God, especially the person that says, God told me we're going to get married. You know, test it. Maybe true. Oftentimes isn't. Especially if you're in high school or college. Probably not. <laughs> Dane, did you say that to Tracy? I'm just saying, I don't know. Maybe it works. Either way, good job, brother. Another one, Paul, writing to the, the Thessalonian, or the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. He says this, do not quench the Spirit, okay? Don't shut yourself off to the Spirit. And don't treat prophecies with contempt, simply writing them off. But test them all. Every single, every single time that you feel, whether it's somebody speaking something or whether you feel like it's impressed on your heart, test every prophecy. Hold on to what is good, but reject every kind of evil. Why? Why would both John and Paul feel the need to encourage us to test the spirits, to test the words that supposedly come from God? Because we have an enemy who would love to speak into our lives and sow discord. So the, which begs the question, okay, how can we tell when it's God speaking to us as opposed to the enemy? I'm going to give us a couple of, again, we're not going to cover all of them, but I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. The first one is this. Our spirit within us gives us the ability to discern certain things. When somebody says something to you, and if, if it does not jive with your spirit, then pay attention to that. Hold that thought captive and ask the Holy Spirit within you to give you discernment, to recognize whether it's from God or not. 
but two very concrete tests that you can bring to bear on this. The first one would be this. The Holy Spirit will never impress anything in our hearts that contradicts Scripture. Never. Which is a pretty good reason why we should probably study Scripture because it becomes a filter through which we can begin to assess everything that is laid on our heart, everything that's spoken to us. If something is spoken to you, over you, and it contradicts the whole message of Scripture, then chances are that is not from God. Because even Satan knows Scripture, doesn't he? Remember that time as Jesus has been out in the wilderness for 40 days? And Satan comes and he begins to tempt him. And at one point he brings him up to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And he, and he looks down and he goes, that's a, a high height. But if you really are the Son of God, if you really are who he says you are, his Messiah his anointed redeemer of his people, then jump. Because scripture says that the angels will not allow his chosen one to even strike his heel on a stone. So jump and prove that you are who he said you were. But Jesus, knowing the full context of scripture, thanks. Jesus recognizing, thank you, this is interactive and I appreciate it right now. I need coffee. Uh, Jesus, understanding all of Scripture, is able to counter it with, wait a minute. Scripture also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So get behind me, Satan. Don't you dare try to tempt me against my Father. Here's the point. God will never tell you to do something that is contrary to Holy Scripture. And if it is, it's not from God. And if, you have, if somebody tells you something, I encourage you to run it through Scripture. That is exactly what the Berean Jews were commended for. When Paul and Silas were going around and teaching them the gospel, they didn't just take their word for it. Don't accept everything I'm saying right now, by the way. Don't take my word for it. Test it against the full Scripture. And if anything doesn't line up, then reject it as not from God. I'm a fallible human being. Even Lee is fallible. And at times we will misspeak. Shocking. Ray Markley's like, what? Yeah, it's true. Don't accept everything that we say. But test it against Scripture. And if it doesn't align, reject it. Second thing, the second test, and I, this is a huge one. Because so often there are things that are impressed on our hearts and we're forced to ask, where is that coming from? And I would encourage you to test the heart of what is being spoken. Because it, it, is the heart of it convicting you to do something or not to do something? Or is the heart of it more punitive, harsher, more attacking? Is it trying to condemn you or, or so, uh, you know, shame and guilt? Because the point is the Holy Spirit convicts, but the enemy condemns. So if you are feeling convicted about something, chances are it's from God. If you are feeling condemned, that is not from God. Now, it may be true that the choice that you're trying to make or have made is not God's will for you. And there's some conviction there, but it's buried underneath this heap of condemnation. And it's that condemning voice that says, you are a failure. 
God could never use you and you are beyond redemption. You are beyond His love. When you hear things like that, that is not from our Father in Heaven. That is not the way He speaks. That is not the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Would you agree, Justin? Amen. The Holy Spirit convicts us about a whole slew of things. The enemy condemns. I'm wrapping it up. Let me invite the, the worship team up. Let me, let me close with this thought. The whole point of this morning is simply to encourage us to begin cultivating ears to listen. Our spirits are kind of like, our, our ability to listen is kind of like a muscle that we have to train up. We are so distracted. That's one of the reasons why two weeks ago Lee spent so much time talking about slowing down. It is a spiritual discipline because we live in such hurried, scattered lives. So many things are competing for our attention. So much noise. And so slowing down to create space to listen is, is paramount. That's why last week we talked about the need for prayer is so important and it's not just a momentary thing that we do once or twice a day, but it's something that we do throughout the day, this, this practicing the presence of God in our lives in everything that we do. And the point of this morning is simply that the Holy Spirit is with you and is speaking to you all the time. But are you listening? Are you cultivating space to listen? Are you paying attention? I guarantee you that if you begin to listen, and as you hear something, put it to the test. The next time he speaks, you're going to be a lot more capable of hearing. But if you begin to ignore the Holy Spirit's words, if you continue to cultivate busyness and hurriedness in your life, it is going to become increasingly difficult to hear the Spirit's still, quiet voice speaking into your life. Does that make sense? All right. We pray for us. And we'll go into a time of response. God, I thank you that you love us in spite of ourselves. I thank you that you have chosen to tabernacle with us, to, to enter into our lives, into the messiness of this broken world, rather than standing back aloof and waiting for us to somehow clue in or figure it out or clean ourselves up. I thank you that you move towards us and desire more than anything else relationship. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to uh, even sift through the things that I brought this morning. And I pray that you would take those kernels of truth and you would work them into the soil of our heart so that they could begin to take root and to bear fruit. And if there's anything that's of my mind that's not of you, then would you just strike it from our memory? More than all else, God, I pray that you would help us to draw close to you. You would strip away the things that so easily entangle us and ensnare us and distract us. And give us the eyes to recognize where you're moving. Give us the eyes to recognize where you're at. And give us the ears to recognize our own master's voice so that we can follow you and reject the lying voice of our enemy. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.